So today we're in Acts 1, starting in chapter 4. I'll give you a second. When you get there, I need you to yell for me. Just a little yell. All right. Verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. But she said, You heard from me. For John baptized with the water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Westside. We are glad that you're here with us today. I just realized, sort of listening to those clips, um, it's not a good thing to stand up and preach after you've just heard Billy Graham thunder from the speakers, and then it's like, who's this guy? Um, but the whole key theme of that video is the proclamation of the gospel. Um, and we are in a new book of the Bible, the book of Acts. Um, we started that last week. And so you can go to our website and check out that message. It's pretty um, foundational that you would go back and catch up on that message because we introduced the theme, which is rooted and renegade. And, and we said this, that the disciples of Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus, is rooted in the words of Jesus but renegades in the continued works of Jesus. That that's what the entire book of Acts is, is that Jesus Christ, we will see in the chapter today, ascends into heaven and sits down at the right hand of the Father. But the work is not done. It continues, and it continues through the church of Jesus Christ. And it continues all the way down. Last week we did a timeline as to how in this moment the gospel being proclaimed reaches all the way to us in 2021 in Butler County. And so today, um, really, the big idea and the theme of the chapter, if you haven't picked up on the verses that have been read or listened to the verses that was read to you, is this idea of waiting. And i got to tell you, this week... I found myself in two of my least favorite places. Um, the first place was a waiting room at a doctor's office. One of our kids had an appointment, nothing serious, just a checkup, and we were there in the waiting room. And I don't know if you know this about me or not, but I just... I don't do well in waiting rooms, okay? Um, I get nervous. I'm like talking to people that I don't know. I'm, I feel like I'm breaking rules because there's so many rules in a waiting room. And especially now in today's climate with everything going on. And so I'm like, ah, I, I don't like this atmosphere. I don't like waiting. And our kids are old enough now where we don't have to go back with them. And so the nurse kind of, you know, the worker kind of looked at me and they were like, you stop here, dad. 
And I was like, are you kidding me right now? Because I'll come back there, okay, right? I just don't do well when you're like, hey, Dad, you don't go past this point. And I'm like, I'm going to go past that point, right? Um, I even actually did. During the visit, I, like, opened the door and went back there at one point. I just did. Um, I was there, and then I was at another uh, point of, of waiting on some food. And um, they, they got the order wrong. I was in food service. It, you know, it's okay. It's fine. But then when they got it wrong and I got all the way back home and then you do the thing and you're like, they forgot X, Y, and Z. And so you drive back and then you wait. And the whole time I'm waiting on the food, I'm just laughing because I know what the sermon's going to be on Sunday. And, and listen, I know sometimes you guys are like, man, today I just felt like you were preaching to me. Listen, I live this thing all week long, okay? But I found myself um, in these moments, and I just realized how difficult waiting is. As a matter of fact, this week I just made a post on social media and just said, in your personal opinion, what makes waiting so hard? And um, had 95-plus people just comment um, the emotions as to what it is and what makes waiting so difficult. Um, doubt, um, realizing not being able to be in control was by far one of the number one answers, fear, um, all of these things like that. When you look in verse 4 in chapter 1, it's the anchor for the entire chapter. It says this in verse 4, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but here it is, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you have heard from me. All of chapter 1 is about waiting. It's about the disciples obeying Jesus' command to wait. And when I thought about where we are in salvation history, if you will, we are much like the disciples. Because you see, the first waiting room that you and I find ourselves in is waiting on the return of Jesus Christ. I mean, it says there in those verses, the angels look to the disciples and say, why are you staring at the sky? This same Jesus will return in the way that you saw him. And we see this all through the New Testament. The writers say it, and here's how it says it in Hebrews 9. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. We see this all through the New Testament, that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, are to be aware and awake to his second coming. But it's not just a theological waiting room that we're in, because that's true for every follower of Christ. But maybe for you, um, in the season of life that you are in, you find yourself in a number of waiting rooms. I just jotted these down. Maybe you're waiting for a new job. Maybe you're waiting on the pandemic to end. Maybe you're waiting to build or buy that house. Maybe you're waiting to heal from the hurt. Maybe you're waiting for that child to return to the Lord. Maybe you're waiting to get pregnant. Maybe you're waiting for the chemo to end. Maybe you're waiting on your dad to call. I think no matter who we are, how old we are, we find ourselves in a season of waiting. And here's the thing, universally known, waiting is difficult. It's hard. I mean, especially in this day and age, and we can get into all these statistics and this, that, and the other. In the age when Amazon Prime isn't even fast enough 
Waiting is difficult. And, and, and I think that we don't even realize how future-oriented our language even is. I think that's what's so difficult even with kids today. Like, like think about being in high school. When you're in high school getting to graduate, the question is, where are you going to college? Or where are you going to work? And if you're going to college, then you go to college and you come back and they say, well, what's your degree? And you say, I'm studying this. And then they say, well, when are you going to use that? And then you graduate and come back from college and they say, um, I hear you're dating this girl, when are you, or this guy, when are you going to get married? And then you say this, and then you get married. And then what's the statement? When are you having kids, right? So then you have the first kid and they say, oh, he or she is so beautiful. And then what's the statement when you have another one right and you're like good lord okay um my entire life revolves around this next thing and this next thing and this next thing and i believe sometimes as disciples that we are so focused on the next thing that we miss what god is doing in the main thing in the here and now but i found something that helps me while i wait especially in a waiting room at a doctor's office or if a kid's getting a haircut or something like that, I always have something with me. I have a book. Um, I'll pull up the Bible on my phone. I might even, I mean, one time I was getting an oil change and just busted out my laptop, just like right there, right? I have something with me while I'm waiting and I find that it helps during that season. And what I see in the passage today is I see four things that we can have with us while we learn to wait. Because if I know anything, I know that a disciple of Jesus Christ has to know how to wait well. As we're waiting on the return of Jesus, or as we're waiting on that particular season in our life, there are some tools that we can have as we learn to wait. So here we go. The first one is this. You can wait with God's plan. God's plans. Any Drake fans in the... Okay, all right. Point number one, waiting with God's plan. Yeah, you're, you don't listen to secular radio. I get it, okay, right? Then you get in the car and drive out of the church parking lot. God's plan, okay? Uh, verse 6 says this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, when will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, I love this. They're like little kids. They're like, is it time yet? Is it Christmas morning? Can we open up our presents? Jesus, are you going to do the thing that we want you to do? And he's like, nope, be quiet, okay? He says, um, actually, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Um, listen, when they ask this question in verse 6, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know of a more relevant verse than verse 6 for us today. Because you see, the disciples thought that Jesus was going to establish a political national kingdom. And we look on the characters in the Bible and we say, man, we're so different than them, man. We're so, I can't relate to them at all, right? But you see, our temptation is to do the same thing in the here and now and to twist and distort what God's kingdom is to satisfy our own desires. So, so what does this mean as we wait with God's plan? Well, the first thing is this, is that um, patience isn't just the ability to wait. Patience is the ability to wait joyfully. That's what patience is. Um, if you fast forward in the New Testament, in the book of Galatians, it actually says that a fruit of the Spirit or an evidence that you have the Spirit of God in your life 
is patience, which tells me this, that that type of patience, the ability to wait joyfully, does not come natural to us. But here's how we can wait with God's plan. Jesus says this. He says that you will receive power from the, from the Father, that you will wait and have the promise from the Father. So listen, we're waiting on God's plan. And the most difficult thing in our life, listen, is to assert our will to be God's will, right? And so as we are waiting on God to fulfill His plans and purpose in our life, the great temptation is to grab control and to hurry up the process. And can I tell you that anybody in the Bible that has ever done that, it has gone terribly wrong, okay? Terribly wrong. Like, uh, for example, Abraham and Sarah. They're these old people in the Bible. And God was like, you're going to have kids. And Sarah laughed at God because they were like 80 years old. Literally, she laughed at God. She was like, are you kidding me? We're 80 plus years old. There's no way we're having kids. And so she thought God was delaying on his promise. And so she brought a lady friend to her husband and was like, hey, can you make this happen? And hey, guys, just real quick, that's bad, okay? It's just bad. Even, even if your lady's like, make this happen, refuse it, guys. It ain't good. Ain't good, okay? Right? So listen, anytime that happens in the Bible, it goes horribly wrong. And here's the reason why. I think that um, we're confused about what God's will is like. You see, I believe that a lot of us grew up with the teaching of God's will being like this dot on a map. And you got to find that dot. And, and you got to get that job. And you got to get that right place. And is it God's will to buy the house? Or is it God's will to, you know, Chevy, Ford? Is it God's will for... And, and we think that God's will is like a magical unicorn that's running around. And we live in constant fear of wondering if we're actually in God's will or not. But see, the reality is this, is that God's will is like a compass. It's not like a calendar. That's what Jesus says, is that it's not for you to know the times, chronos, where we get the word chronological, and then seasons, kairos, which are these God moments. Jesus says it's not for you to know those. Those are fixed by the Father. But what we see God always tell people in Scripture is, listen, not details, but a direction. God comes to Abraham, and he says, go. And Abraham's like, where? God's like, go. So Abraham just goes. At the Great Commission, Jesus says, go. And, and some of us, I think, are sort of analysis by paralysis. So then we don't make any decisions in our life because we're waiting on the exact detail and this, that, and the other. Now, we're going to get in just a minute as to how we can figure out what the direction is. But think about it this way. Think of God's will as like a tray of cookies from your grandma, okay? Anybody? Anybody, right? Maybe oatmeal raisin, or maybe if you're saved, white chocolate chip macadamia nut, <laughs> all right? And when your grandma hands you that tray of cookies, um, question, what's the right cookie to take? All of them, yes. I'll take all of them, please, and thank you, right? Um, any of them on the tray, any of them on the tray. And with God's word, anything that aligns within his word is the decision to make for you. Because you see, God wants us to have faith. So as you're waiting, I don't know what you're waiting on or what this season looks like for you, 
But you're not waiting empty-handed. You are waiting with God's plan. It's more like a compass. It's not so much like a calendar. The second thing that I see is this. You wait with God's promises. Look at what he says in verses 8 through 11. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Listen, we're going to learn all about the Holy Spirit next week. That's what all of Acts chapter 2 is, is the birth of the church through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says you're going to receive power. Um, That word for power, if you've ever studied the New Testament, is the word dunamis, which is where we get the word for dynamite from. How cool is that? Jesus is like, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. And we said verse 8 is the outline of the book. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I want you to notice something. Um, I learned something just recently after I had gotten saved from an old dead guy by the name of Charles Spurgeon. And he said, anytime you read the Bible and you see God say, will or shall... You underline it, you circle it, and you put a star next to it because that is God promising something to happen. And what Jesus says is you will receive power. You will be my witnesses. Listen, Jesus is promising his disciples something. But here's what we know. He's he's promised them this before this moment. You see, if you go back in the Gospel of John, The last night Jesus was with his disciples, Jesus says these words in John 14. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. And and maybe somebody was like scribbling notes down at the dinner, and they were like, I'm not getting everything that Jesus is saying. And he's like, hey, listen, calm down. Um, The helper, the Holy Spirit. Hey, ladies, by the way, can I just pause right here? This is great. Um, You know, in Genesis, whenever God creates uh, Adam, Uh, He creates him, and and the word that's used for created is kind of like hammer and nails, like wood shop work. But then it says that, that God creates Eve from Adam's side, and the word that God uses for Eve is like fashioned. And God says, I will make a helper fit for him. Um, This is the same word in the original language. So um, shout out to all the wives and all the women in the room because you have the same analogy as the Holy Spirit. I just, maybe at lunch you bring that up to your husband today, okay? I don't know. Maybe that, I don't know, okay? But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all of these things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Jesus has promised this to the disciples, and then he promises them this again. So what does this mean for us? A couple things. The first one is this. What God promises, he provides. Please listen to me. Some of us are looking at the season of our life that we're waiting for, and it is daunting. It seems way too much. But you are confident in the fact that God has brought you to this moment. Listen, I remember old preachers growing up saying that if God brought you to it, then he will get you through it. Can I get a witness in the room today? Amen? That if God brings you to that, God will also provide for you to get through that season. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. The power is always found in God's presence. What he's saying is, I will be with you. The very Spirit of God will learn next week that raised Jesus Christ from the tomb is alive and at work within us. The distinction is found in the very presence of God. 
And then the last thing is this. Um, What if what you're waiting on God to do, God's waiting on you to do? Because remember, remember, back up. The first thing the disciples ask is, um, Jesus, will you, right? Like they're already asking Jesus to do something, and he's like, I just rose from the dead, okay? (laughs) Anything else left, all right? And they're like, yeah, actually, could you establish a political kingdom? All right, all this stuff, right? They say, Jesus, can you blank? And then I love what Jesus says. "Um, No, but you, you'll receive power. Question. Um, What if the family conflict that you're praying to God about every day, and that conversation with your dad, your mom, your in-laws, I don't know what it is. You just keep asking God, God, restore my family together. What if God's answer to you is, um, I am and I will. I'm just waiting for you to have coffee with them. I'm just waiting on you to to make the phone call. What if um, that thing in your life that you're asking God to do, God is saying, I have promised you, I have provided for you. What I am asking for you is I am asking for you to step out. Listen to me, Westside. This is where we're going as a church. This is what I see disciples doing. I see disciples having just enough conviction to know that God has promised this season in their life and then just enough crazy to step out and do it, right? But there's also that little bit of thing in you that you're like, if God does not show up, then this is going to go horribly wrong. But that's where I see God wants us to be. That's where I see disciples growing. What is that thing in your life that you're asking God to do that God is actually saying, I've promised and I've provided, I will be with you. Step out and do it. Listen, we don't wait empty-handed. We wait with God's plan. We wait with God's promises. And the third thing is this. We wait with God's people. We wait with God's people. Look at the list of names as we continue on in verses 12 through 14. They're, they're now there in the upper room. And they return to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. Verse 13. And when they had entered, they went into the upper room. Where they were staying, Peter and John, James and Andrew, look at the names. Do you know what's really cool? Like super cool? Mary's name. How epic is that? So, so at this point, the disciples are probably only about 120. So we know of the 12 for sure, the committed, the committed. We know Peter, James, and John. But we know up until this point, the max number is probably 120 followers of Jesus Christ. Um, 1 Corinthians 15 actually tells us that Jesus spent about 50 days appearing to different people and having breakfast with them um, after his resurrection. How cool is that, right? But then it says, verse 14, And all of these with one accord were devoting to themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. I mean, they're there in the upper room. They're like, Jesus told us to wait. We're going to wait. The Roman government's coming after us. What do we do? What's going on? But they are all waiting together. Um, 
a couple years ago, we were hanging out with some church members, and they own some land and sort of have some cattle and stuff like that. So we were taking the kids out there to hang out with them and to have fun and to step in poop and all of that stuff because that's what you do when there's animals around, right? And so what we were doing is it was around feed time, and it was in the evening. So we're riding around, and we're doing all of the chores. And as he starts to put the hay out and the feed out, um, the cows and the cattle start to make their way up. And we're sitting there talking, and he's talking to the kids. And I've noticed that farmers, um, you know, especially who have cattle and stuff or animals, live by two things. Number one, a count. You're always counting. And number two, you live by gates, okay? So you always ask, did you close the gate, right? Um, did you get the gate? Because if not, that's a big deal. And so we're sitting there talking, and, and he goes, my number's off. My number's off. And then he goes, yep, yep. I got a mama and a calf back there. And then he said this, that tells me something's wrong. That tells me something's wrong. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, they're not with the herd. That means something's wrong. Sure enough, there was something wrong with one of the um, calf's legs. And so the mama was hanging out and he had to end up doing all this stuff. But when he said that, I thought, this guy's a pastor and he doesn't even know it. A shepherd who looks over the flock. And can I just tell you this? Can I just tell you this? The moment I start seeing people drift away from their community, whether it's a Sunday morning, whether it's West, I, I don't care what it is. The moment that I start to see drift, I know inevitably that something's wrong or that something's going to happen. Why? Well, a number of things. The first one is this. Um, God has never promised us to wait alone. God's never asked you to wait alone and to bear this alone. And can I just say this? Some of you have just gone through a season. Some of you have gone through a season of, of chemo, of, of losing a loved one, of a transition of a job, and you've been asking God, God, why have I gone through this season? God, why have I been waiting? God, why did I go through this season of depression and darkness? And the answer is this, because there is somebody else who is sitting in that waiting room, and they are in a season of depression and darkness or a season of chemo or a season of losing a loved one or a season of going through divorce and do you know what you need so bad when you're in that waiting room is you need somebody who's done it as well waiting with you and you just simply need the presence of that person, not profound knowledge. You don't need a Sunday school lesson in that moment. What you need is just somebody to cry to who knows and understands. Please listen to me, and this will sting a little bit, but loneliness is a choice. It is a choice in order to step out and to say, I do not want to wait alone in this season. Initiate that. That's why, guys, listen, that's why we have Westside men and Westside women. All we're trying to do as a church is provide intersections for you to meet people. That's all our job is. Our job is not to do the heavy lifting. That's your job. But the intersection has been provided for you. God's never asked you to wait alone in this season. The second thing is this. Um, who are your upper room people in your life? Um, you're going to start hearing this language about upper room people a lot. You know why? Because the upper room people are the committed people. There's two types of followers of Christ. There are those who show up on miracle day 
Remember that? Remember when there's 5,000 people and Jesus feeds the kid with the Lunchable? Remember that one? That was awesome, right? It says um, a few chapters later that more people kept following Jesus. But, but whenever he was slacking on his mackin and not providing more miracles, they go, um, hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus. <laughs> Listen, man, you've been preaching a lot about, like, the cross and, like, deny yourself and, like, the kingdom of God. We get it. The kingdom of God is great, okay? But when are you going to perform more miracles? We're hungry. And just read John chapter 6. Jesus snaps out, okay? He snaps out and says, you're just following me? For miracles, you care nothing about the kingdom of God. And it says that thousands of people turned away from him. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if Jesus preached that sermon today in a church? People would light up Facebook. Um, we had a guest preacher today who had like long hair and was wearing sandals and stuff. Mean message. He told people not to come back. Ugh, I just wish we were Christ-like, right? Okay? Because they wanted miracles. Listen, those are lower room people. Upper room people, they're the ones that are going to wait. They're the ones who are committed. Who's your 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. friend that you could call at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. and say, this has just happened, or I feel this way. I need you, or can you just pray with me over the phone? Listen, God has never asked you to wait alone. If you are in a season Please, you have to gather with God's people. So the last thing I see is this. We can wait with God's plan. We can wait with God's promises. We can wait with God's people. And the last thing is this. Wait with God's provision. God's provided some things for you while you're waiting in this season. Because one of the number one comments about a season of waiting was doubt. People said, man, when you're in a season of waiting, you constantly second-guess yourself. You're like, is this the right thing? Should we not? Maybe we should do this. Maybe we shouldn't do this. Look, I see three things in these following verses that God has provided for us that we can do in this season of waiting, okay? The first one is this, um, God's word. God's word. Look at what um, happens there in verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up, right? That's a leadership move. So, so Peter now stands up and says this, among the brothers, the company of the persons all in about 120. Oh, that was great. I, th I forgot that was in there. So that means that I was right earlier when it was about 120. <laughs> yes. Okay. And said, I'm just checking my work, man. Just checking my work. And said, verse 16, brothers, here it is, brothers, the scripture. Brothers, the scripture must have been fulfilled and then quotes the Bible. Do you know one of the funnest studies that you can do in the book of Acts is study the sermons that are preached? There's like half a dozen of them. And all of them start with somebody being filled with the Spirit of God, standing up and saying, Thus saith the Lord. Listen, we can know God's will because He has given us His Word. Okay? And here's what Christians like to do. Christians like to, um, when maybe it's an uncomfortable season, or maybe when God's asking something of you, or even more than that, when another Christian asks you to do something, do you know? We have a cop-out answer. Do you know what it is? Um, yeah, okay, oh, cool. You want me to serve on that Saturday? Yeah, um, let me pray about it. Uh, let, me, let me pray about it, and I'm going to get back to you, okay? And sure enough, through a text message... God told me I'm not supposed to serve, man, you know? 
Sorry, buddy, right? And that, listen, we create these buffers, and what we do is we make God's will all mysterious. Ooh, you know, what is God's will, right? Um, well, God's will can be found largely in chapter blank, verse blank, okay? We don't have to guess what God's desire is. God's given us his word. And I don't know of anything that is more important for you in a season of waiting than God's word. Um, I'll, I'll never forget, when I graduated high school, I had a number of friends from my hometown that went into the Marines. And so 9-11 had happened a few years prior to me graduating high school and so, man, that was such a catastrophic event that a lot of guys in my graduating class signed up and went off uh, to boot camp in San Diego. And I'll never forget them coming back and sort of telling me, like, about what it's like to be a Marine. I mean, they were in their dress blue. Like, it was just incredible stuff. And I'll never forget they were telling me, yeah, we had to go hiking. We had to do all of this stuff. And we were given commands, and then they had us wait for like a day or two as we're hiking these mountains and do all of this stuff, and we had to wait for our future orders or command. And they had to wait for like a day, like two days. And I remember asking, I was like, well, like when you're waiting and you don't know what to do, can you not just kind of figure out and do something else? <laughs> Some of you guys have been in the military, right? Um, they looked at me like a deer looks at head, like they were like, do something else? They were like, bro, we are property of the United States government. And then they said this, I'll never forget it. You always do what you were last commanded to do. You never do anything else other than what you were commanded to do. And when I think about that, that is such beautiful news for some of you that are in a transition season of waiting. You're like, man, I don't know what's next for me. I don't know what's coming. Listen, do what you were last commanded to do. And you can find that out through God's word. We wait with God's word. The second thing is this, God-given logic, right? Oh, my goodness gracious. Boy, that's a rarity these days, okay? But let's, uh, let's read it, starting in verse 21. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all this time. So this is fun, right? Um, remember Judas yeah, that didn't go so good, right? Um, Judas betrays Jesus, and, and we get this just heartbreaking account of Judas taking his own life. He's so grief-stricken, not repentant, not really remorseful, just um, trapped by guilt. And so the disciples feel this immense amount of pressure to um, replace Judas. Now, there's a lot of hot topic theological debate over this because Jesus didn't command them to replace Judas, but they felt like they were supposed to because Peter says in the Psalms, it says that you were to replace him. And they do um, sort of this thing where they gather all the information. They go, okay, who is an apostle? An apostle is somebody who is chosen by Jesus, called by Jesus, and physically witnessed Jesus' resurrection. So, who do we have that fits that description? And they're like, so, so, so they take down the list, and they're like, okay, what else did Jesus say? And then they take down the list, and then they do this old school thing. Do you see it there in the verses where it says that they casted lots? That's like towards the end there. You're like, what's up? Did somebody bring dice to the prayer meeting? Like, what in the world is this, right? Okay, in the Old Testament, um, God sanctioned the casting of lots for leaders. Now, here's the reason why. There's a giant theological concept behind this. Because up until this moment, 
the Holy Spirit was not given for the indwelling of believers. So after we see Pentecost and the Holy Spirit comes and lives in believers, we never see anybody cast lots again. We don't do that, okay? We don't bring dice and throw sticks now and go, I think it's seven or something like that, all right? Because we have God's word and we have the Holy Spirit. But what they do is they use all the information that they have in order to replace Judas and they replace him with Matthias. Now, there's a lot of controversy over this. Was Matthias supposed to be the 12th one, or was it supposed to be Paul? Because we never hear from Matthias ever again in the rest of the New Testament. Doesn't write any letters, doesn't say anything. Should they have waited for Paul? But the problem is, Paul wouldn't have fit the description that Peter said for an apostle. So there's all of this stuff, okay? But listen, here's what matters, right? Here's what matters. Right now, in the season of waiting that you're in, use the mind that God has given you. Listen, just because we're Christians, we don't just fly off the handle and make irrational decisions. Uh, John Wesley used what was called the quadrilateral. Use logic, reason, tradition, and scripture. What have Christians said in the past about this? What does God's word say about this? What does wise counsel say about this? What do my friends in my life say about this? Use God-given logic. And then the last thing is this, which dominates the chapter. Prayer. I mean, how many times is it mentioned in these verses? I mean, look right there, beginning of verse 24. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship for which Judas has turned aside to go into his own place. Ultimately, Jesus chose the one who was to uh, replace Judas. But they prayed Listen, we have the same access to this same Jesus Christ. That So as you're waiting, God hasn't allowed you to wait empty-handed. You have these same tools available to you today that they had in this very chapter. So listen, in closing, I want to do something a little bit different today. Um, I believe waiting is such a big deal. That waiting is not so much about what we are waiting for. Well, I'll let another author say it this way. Brian says it this way. Waiting is not just the thing we have to do until we get what we hope for. Waiting is part of the process of becoming who God wants us to be. Listen, don't skip the process. Don't skip the steps. It's not just about waiting on the phone call or waiting and getting the thing that you're waiting for. What God is much more concerned about is who you are becoming while you wait. That's what God is doing with the disciples. So listen, our two questions that we're going to end every message with in the book of Acts is this. What is the Spirit of God saying to you through the Word of God? Some of you are in a season of waiting. You're in that room. What is the Spirit of God saying to you today through His Word? And the second thing is this. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? I want to do something different today. As we go through this series, we are going to apply what we're learning. Crazy concept, I know. To actually do what you're studying in the Bible. We're not going to take communion immediately after, right now. We're going to wait. And here's what I want to do after I pray. 
Some of you are in a season of transition and waiting. And I want to give you some God-given space. Maybe you grab a community group leader or somebody that you know that's at your table at Westside Men or Westside Women. or some. You need some prayer today. You need to go before the Lord today. Maybe you just need to cross the aisle today and just let somebody know that you love them, that you're praying for them. I want to give you space to do that. I want this to be a special time and a special place. Listen, please do not deny what the Spirit of God is saying to you today. And then after that, we'll partake in communion together. So Westside, if you would, stand to your feet. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, we come before you, God. We are so thankful for your word today. God, I'm so thankful for each and every person represented in this room. God, we are all in some way, shape, or form waiting on something. For some of us, it is monumental. For some of us, we are losing sleep at night. It is rattling and consuming our mind. God, what I pray today for is I just pray for peace. I pray for guidance. I pray for affirmation today. God, I pray that these people would step out in an act of obedience. They would grab the hand of a loved one and say, hey, can you come down front and just pray with me today? I've got this going on. I just really need God's affirmation in my life. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in the holy and the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Listen, while we sing this next song, come forward, pray, do what you need to do.